Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, expecting for you to speak because we know that you are present. And as we experience you, Lord, would you move us to respond? Would you have your way in our midst, in our lives, in our gathering and in our scattering? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a friend who, going home from work this past week, broke down on the east side of town. He was at the Loop 323 and 5th Street, and he was moving well along enough to move into the parking lot there at the Brookshire's grocery store, and he was on the phone with his mechanic talking about what had happened with his vehicle and how he could coordinate getting his truck to his mechanic's place, and all of a sudden, there was a knock on his window that startled him, and so he rolls down his window, and there's this woman who is desperate, and she says, will you please buy me some groceries? And he, my friend, is trying to process this request and to make sure that he's got all of this taken care of. And he gets off the phone and she says again, please, sir, I just want to buy some chicken patties and french fries so my babies can eat. And he thinks about it and says, yeah, I'll buy you some groceries. And so together they went into Brookshire's and he had some things to get on his own and so they split up and he checked out first and was waiting down front for this woman and here she comes around the corner pushing a full basket of groceries. And he looks up at the Almighty and says, all right, I see you. <laughs> and he pays for this woman's groceries. And as they make their way out of the store, she is pumping him full of accolade and thanksgiving and building him up. And he very politely and very humbly says, no, deflecting praise to God and gives all props to Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, there are people in this world who experience the gospel through our words, actions, the living of our lives, which is the fruit of our salvation, and it's the result of our being sent. And my friend in that moment was sent, and he said yes to what God was doing. This morning is the first of two sermons where we're going to set the tone for the entire year. We are sent we're going to emphasize our mission this week and next. And we're not talking missions. We're talking about the mission of the church, the mission of Jesus that he has invited us into. We are sent. And so today we're in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. Next week is a very similar passage, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out the 72 in pairs of two. And in each of these accounts, the disciples, the followers of Jesus are sent to proclaim the kingdom of God accompanied by signs and wonders, which is so much more than we've got to develop a marketing plan and get people to church. And it's so much more than inviting three friends to Jesus, a campaign to grow worship numbers. Those things in and of themselves are not bad, but there is so much more. There has got to be more. And you know, when Jesus sent the disciples out, 
He had more in mind. And so, Lord, help us to frame out this year according to your mission, who we are, how we live our lives, our identity, the nature of this people, core worship, Marvin Church. We are sent. I don't know about you, if you can remember, if you grew up in the era of cold turkey evangelism that was marked by walking up to someone unknown, walking up to them unannounced, and asking, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Or if you were standing before God in heaven and he asked you, why should I let you in, how would you answer? Now, those may be good questions for us who believe in Jesus to reflect on, but I'm not sure it's the best for us to lead with in doing the work of evangelism, sharing the gospel. Maybe they are for some people, cold turkey evangelism, no relational context, but probably not for all of us. I can count on one hand how many times I put that into practice, cold turkey evangelism, and I did it without asking either of those questions. One time, I walked out of the movies. I was in high school, waiting for my parents to pick me up, standing there amongst a crowd, and my friend challenged me, dared me, encouraged me to go tell that people about Jesus. So I walked up to this one man who looked older than me, but I felt like I could take him, <laughs> spiritually speaking. And I asked him, did he know Jesus? And he dismissed me right out of a hand. There was no conversation. There was no relational connection. I have zero idea what kind of fruit amounted from that exchange. I had similar experiences in college, and maybe you have too, cold turkey. And I'm not saying that that's not a viable way of doing evangelism, but I am calling the question, and I do know that for me, those practices fueled insecurities, especially on the campus of Texas A&M, where other people are doing this, and they are notching up dramatic conversions on their belt left and right, and I'm like, gee whiz, God, what's wrong with me? Why don't I see this kind of fruit? Now, maybe you have the gift of evangelism, and maybe you're bold enough to stand on the street corner and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And maybe you aren't bold enough. Church, if that methodology is not true or cookie cutter for us all, then what is? Because the gospel is an integral part of who we are and how we live our lives. It is the culture that we are a part of and the strategy that we employ. And incidentally, culture eats strategy for lunch. So Lord, set the culture of this place that have hearts for the gospel because the gospel slammed into our soul and help us to understand and know ourselves as a sent people because we are sent. You are sent. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. And then in verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. In verse 6, down there at the bottom, Jesus' disciples set out 
proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then on down in verse 10, which is not on the screen behind me, they returned and reported to Jesus everything they'd done, all that they had experienced. The beautiful thing about this chapter is even when Jesus walked this flesh, this earth in human flesh, gathered and scattered and gathered was a part of the identity of his followers and of his people. They were sent. And Jesus did not send them out empty-handed. First and foremost, he gave them power and authority. A lot of times when those two words are used in tandem with each other, it means complete power. That this power that Jesus gives is not lacking anything. It is enough, complete power. And that same concept is referenced earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter four, verse 36, when it's written of Jesus, ascribed to him who had power and authority to heal this one. Here in Luke nine, Jesus is giving his disciples power similar to that same power that was inherent in who he was. And if he is in us, since he's in us, that same power is available to us right here, right now, today. I'm often asked to pray for people. Oftentimes, I've blessed people's homes. This past year, I was asked on two different occasions about casting out demons. Now, I don't know everything about everything, but I do know there's power in Jesus' name. And sometimes that's all I've got. You're supposed to push back and say, sometimes, because that's all we've got is Jesus. And so, not knowing everything about everything, I'll plead the blood of Jesus over you and speak his name because there's power in Jesus' name, explosive like a dynamite power to effect circumstance. And when there's nothing else to do at all, just say his name, Jesus one simple word befell him. Would you say his word with me? Jesus. There's power in his name. And it's a good thing because we are, second point I want to make, sent to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. We are sent to make publicly known, loudly, that Christ came to establish his kingdom. And we demonstrate his rule and his reign through the living of our lives and the using of our words. And one commentary said that we are to proclaim salvation by the reign of God in our hearts. It governs everything we do. We heal the sick while preaching the kingdom of God and the miracles of healing. They're of secondary importance and serve to prove the reality of God's rule and reign right here, right now. And so we do pray for people to be healed. And sometimes they are. But not always are they healed the way that I would like them to be healed. And all of that's on God. But there are other things in addition to healing, signs and wonders that prove the reality of God's rule and reign right here, right now. My point is that our being sent is so much more than doing good deeds. It is gospel proclamation through the living of our lives, and that yields salvation. Maybe not then, 
maybe on down the road, but it's so much more than notching our belt full of dramatic conversion experiences. Our being sent means that we enter into the midst of uncertainty. Sometimes it means speaking truth to power. Sometimes it means speaking out against injustice or standing up for those who can't speak for themselves. It always means being the faithful presence of love in all the dark places that we go, and love has a name. His name is Jesus, who called the 12 together in Luke chapter 9, gave them power and authority, and sent them out, and they returned. And so what does it mean to be sent? I think the best way to tie it all together is to look at the life of Jesus, who himself traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. We take our cues from Jesus, who understood self-sacrifice. He left his father's throne above. He understood what utter dependence was growing up under Joseph and Mary's watch. He understood authority and responsibility. He lived and breathed and demonstrated the rule and reign of God, even in his own life. Jesus healed people. He cried when people died. He grieved the loss of life. He ate with people, performed miracles. Jesus valued community. He invested life in others, discipling them. He stood up for the oppressed and marginalized. He prayed, fasted, and Jesus knew the scriptures. He loved. Jesus had a deep and profound love for God. He had a deep and profound love for others. And you know Jesus was well-adjusted and loved himself. He was all in to this mission that was God's. In the first post-resurrection appearance to the 12, Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In the same way the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And when he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit to the 12 and others, and they were stretched far beyond their comfort zone, way beyond their skill set or expertise. God gets more glory when he accomplishes something through someone that they are unable to do on their own. And that's a good thing because I can't do this and I can't do it alone. And God gets the glory. If the intent was for the disciples to survive and go back to a normal life to live out their happy ending, they wouldn't need God. But God had bigger things in mind. He had more important things like launching a movement, birthing the church, talking sustainability, explosive growth, life, health, that's a marketing plan. People want to be a part of that movement. That's the movement that we are a part of. And this church was born and exploded in the face of opposition and persecution into this mess. The church was born. The disciples were sent just as they'd always been sent by Jesus. Disciples are sent we are sent. Listen, I know 
And I want you to know that sometimes we have to use words to articulate the gospel. And sometimes we have to bear witness to God's gracious activity in the mess of our lives. Maybe cold turkey evangelism works, but what always works is entering into the life of another and loving them. We have got to cherish people before we nourish them. Martha Wall, God rest her soul. We have got to love people really well before we feed them the good milk of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amy Carmichael is one woman who got this right. And she lived at the end of the 19th century, well into the 20th century. She was born in a wealthy family in Ireland, and over the course of her upbringing, they lost everything, yet she still knew radical hospitality, extravagant generosity. Those things marked her for life, and she had a call to a missionary lifestyle. She understood herself to be sent. She failed in China, came home, was sent to India, where she spent the remainder of her days. And while she was there, she helped those who were helpless. She connected herself to a local church, and over the course of her 50 years there, she took in hundreds of children from off the street. And when she first arrived in India, laying in bed, waking up in the morning, she said to the Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Wherever you're leading, whatever you're doing, yes. And she was a part of something big and beautiful there in India. She experienced the explosive growth of the church. Maybe you will never be a missionary in India. Maybe you will never be in the right place at the right time and even able to afford groceries for someone who's in desperate need. Maybe you'll never experience cold turkey evangelism, but you are sent and we are called, we are called, we are called to be the church, enter into, enter into the lives of people in the world, the dark places in this world, loving and speaking truth and standing up and professing faith and being the gospel, lives that embody the gospel. We don't have to brainstorm ideas. I don't think the early church did that. My friend didn't do that when his truck broke down. Amy Carmichael didn't do that. They were sensitive to the Lord, following his promptings as they lead. And that's my heart for us, and that's how I want us to frame out the year with respect to living this mission out in Tyler, Smith County, and the world. We are sent. Lord, wherever you're leading, whatever it is you're doing, yes, I'm all in. As we close this morning, I want to put the text that we read at the beginning back up on the screen. And I'm going to read it out loud, and I'm going to give us 60 seconds or so to sit in it 
and listen for God's voice. And as we listen, even on this side of listening, let your yes be yes so that we are able to go with him as he leads. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. <laughs>